What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. I'm joining you today by my guy, Derek Stein, obviously of the Not Just Dribble Podcast, and also humongous Philadelphia fan. Um, it's been a while since we did a pod, but don't worry, the Detroit and the Golden State uh, episodes are still rolling out. It's been a long process with that stuff, but we're obviously here today to break down the James Harden trade, okay? We're here. James Harden has officially been traded from the Philadelphia 76ers. No more little baby. No more honey buns. Only Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. Derek, what's your initial reaction to James Harden being traded away from your franchise? Well, thank you, Gifted. Happy to be here. Uh, I'll tell you, I saw it at 5 a.m. Uh, just happened to wake up. Oh, wow. You, know. you woke up for this. <laughs> Uh, you know, I woke up, the phone was kind of blowing up a little bit, uh, went and looked. I was upset initially because I was like, hmm, I could have got an extra half an hour of sleep uh, before work. But I looked, uh, I saw the contents, and this is before all the draft capital got posted. So I looked at it, and first words out of my mouth were, that's it. Because the first name I saw that was not there wasn't even Terrence Mann's, Ter- Terrence Mann. It was Norman Powell that was not there and i thought norman would be included on virtually every single kind of trade that could have happened for philly i figured if terrence man was actually off the table for la the sixers would possibly want some kind of scoring option back that obviously wasn't the case instead we got practically every wing that doesn't start uh, or wouldn't start if the clippers could help it uh and some draft capital so initially i was like hmm I don't know. I got to sit with it. I got to wake up, got to look over it. And I was like, you know what? Overall, I'm happy. I'm happy. There's a direction with this trade. I'm happy because James Harden and the potential drama that could follow is no longer on my team and in my city. So overall, I'm happy. So unlike you, I did not wake up. Um, I actually passed out in the discord last night. I was watching basketball in the discord and i knocked out um i could not make it through lakers uh, orlando i wake up and i think you texted me and i'm like what is he talking about and then i you know check my thing like oh hard hard has been traded and it was funny because we actually talked about this before this like i was saying okay hard is official on the sideline so that clearly means he's gonna play pretty soon like not now we're gonna find out who's playing chicken because for some time now, like it's been a question of does Harden want to play for the Sixers? What's going on? Is he holding out? And then we see him for the first time. So I'm thinking, okay, Harden's gonna play, and he is, but not for the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> um, the full trade package, I'm pretty sure you guys traded. No, yes, you traded James Harden for honestly a bunch of mid-tier players. Some players were not even in the Clippers rotation for real. The players would be Robert Covington. I'm pretty sure it was um, Batum. Also, KJ Martin, a 2028 unprotected first round pick. Um, I think two or three second round picks and a pick swap, right? Yeah. So you got Rocco, who's coming back to Philly. Uh, coming back to Philly. Nick Batum, as you said, KJ Martin, also Philadelphia native Marcus Morris is included. I forgot about Marcus. Yes. Yeah, an unprotected 2028, like you said, two second round picks, one first round pick that is actually coming from the Thunder, but was originally LA's, which is confusing. 
it is a heavily protected 2026 pick and then a first round swap with the clippers as well uh pj tucker and another sixers player who was not in the rotation uh philip p we call him he is going to la as well as james harden shout out to philip p um i think so i'll be honest i spent the entire day thinking what side am i going to be on with this trade because i told you multiple times I don't believe in trading James Harden regardless of the drama or whatever if the return is not there. But what I have reflected on is what was the market for James Harden? And for many, many months now, the market has been the Clippers. And there hasn't been any other partner trying to join. Now, to be fair, Laker fans have been overreacting wanting James Harden. So I guess you can maybe throw them in there. But realistically, they're not in the market. And you can maybe say if you wait longer into the season, more teams are going to be unhappy and maybe there is a higher return. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. What I do know is James Harden called Daryl Morey a liar. I repeat, James Harden called Daryl Morey a liar. And that's literally what James said with the whole I repeat thing. And... Questions about his commitment to the team, if he was going to play or not, were absolutely there. So them making the trade, from that perspective, it makes sense. But I got to say, from a value perspective, this feels crazy to me because the Clippers didn't have to trade Terrence Mann or Norman Powell. And it's crazy because they literally said as a negotiation tactic that Mann was, was untradeable. Like he's... He's an untouchable asset. And I laugh because it's like Terrence Mann. I can't even get Terrence Mann. And they stood on business. I mean, they threw in more draft capital than we expected, I think. But the player that they gave, I mean, probably the most serviceable player in the deal is probably Batum, who's going to retire after this season. And it's kind of old, but he, he still has some value. But outside of that, Robert Covington was barely in the Clippers rotation it's funny because as soon as he starts getting minutes he's no longer on the Clippers <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find that hilarious KJ Martin is a solid young player I like KJ Martin I just don't think he he was gonna be like a playoff minute type of guy just yet but he is a good player I like KJ Martin and really the draft stuff for the Clippers I mean now you are officially all in with this team even more than you were before. Now their picks are, are going to come more so in 2029 20, and 30. You know what I'm saying? Like they now have to wait much longer to get their draft capital back. My initial reaction is where does this put the Sixers? Because now there is no hard and fail safe. There is no like real like star you're getting back in this deal and that takes me back to why i said daryl morey is a liar because initially daryl morey said he wanted a star return back for james harden and instead you have kj martin so not sure where the star is maybe with a bunch of the contracts that you got back which is super super underrated by the way most of the players you got back are on expiring deals all of them gifted actually all of them bad. are expiring contracts which is interesting all of them as Derek said, are expiring deals, which in it, which immediately, once I figured out that information, Derek, right, made me think, 
So are they going to try to flip all these expirings and maybe some of the draft capital plus their own for a star player that's out there? And I started thinking, okay, well, who could that be? Let's go through some of the stars that we think are a bit disgruntled. And it feels like the number one name would have to be Zach Levine. I mean, Bulls literally lose one game and they have a players only meeting. And then days later, Zach Levine scores 50 points. His his career high and they still lose the game so like it seems like, it feels like the writing is on the wall there but even then maybe i'm a hater but i'm trying to think stylistically does tyrese and zach levine make sense if they're super redundant i think tyrese is a better off-ball player zach levine isn't a playmaker tyrese is evolving and taking leaps in the playmaking area but does that make sense i had to think about it and i still don't know where i'm at but that was my initial reaction. I didn't even get to how I felt for the Clippers. I'm so focused on your team now. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, to the Clippers' credit, I'll say they did. They stuck to their guns, right? They didn't trade man. They didn't have to trade Powell, which I thought was almost essential, especially if yeah. you didn't include man. But from the Philly side of things, I think I was happy... Again, like I said, once I got to sit with it a bit more and I looked and I was like, okay, there's a clear direction with this trade. So you said it already. These are all expiring contracts after this year. The, this is empty money. This is going to be freed up cap space. So that's a, you know, a win for Philadelphia. That was a big discussion point of Tobias Harris, of course, is going to be a free agent. James Harden, if he stayed with the team. 36 million would be off the books after this year. He would, you know, almost certainly walk, but the money would be off the books. So I do think Daryl Moria has a plan of going all in in free agency. Personally, I think that's where he's leaning. We'll talk about Joel Embiid and his feelings and how that could change the timeline and change where that money goes. Uh, but what's also really nice about these contracts is they're actually very flexible. Uh, so I was looking earlier, Marcus Morris is making roughly. 17 almost 18 million dollars with this season that's actually a very tradable contract because that can get you you know a couple of good role players certainly that are making cheaper money but more importantly there's some fringe all-stars in some cases there's actually all-stars that are available for just that contract so then you get into the conversation of a marcus morris and picks and that can go get you something uh on top of Batum, who's making roughly $10 million. Uh, Robert Covington, I think, is making like $10.5. Uh, so you've got players that are going to be able to be moved fairly easily if you want to do it before the deadline or around the deadline. You've got draft capital now that you did not have before. It's unlikely Philadelphia ever uses it for drafting players. They're absolutely trade chips. But now you've got some ammunition to do that. So from that perspective... Philly has now armed their arsenal a bit more and that was absolutely necessary. Cause like you said, the original discussion was Maury was only going to trade for a star. Once we saw that really wasn't on the table, it's not like Kawhi or PG would be available from the Clippers and the market really didn't expand. This was the realistically the next best outcome. And I do think, this is a trade package that could be used to get something that Philadelphia desperately needs at once and appeal to Joel Embiid. 
yeah, that that is where my next, you know, thought goes. And again, like, I really couldn't think of a better name than Zach Levine in terms of potential star player that that fits into what Philly might want to do. Ideally, you find like a more flexible playmaker that can also shoot. I think, or you find a wing who can, you know, put Tobias Harris back at power forward comfortably. But it's like star added to that makes it a lot harder because because then it's okay does the money work do you have enough like this this trade happened because the value was so dramatically low and james harden is on an expiring contract and i feel like the clippers have reached a point where they're just all in and they're saying just screw it let's do it because we haven't extended paul george or Kawhi yet anyway so now Mm -hmm. it's like we have James Harden, which I think a big catalyst of why this trade was made is James Harden is insurance for the regular season. This move, for me at least, cements the Clippers as a playoff team. And honestly, it might it might cement them as a top four team seeding-wise in the West as well. Because now, if Kawhi goes down, you have James Harden, you have Paul George, you have Russ. If Paul George goes down... You have Kawhi, you have Russ, you have James Harden. If they both go down, you at least have two playmaking guards who can raise the floor of the team during the regular season. And then vice versa, Russ plays a ton of games, and so does Harden. So you get a bit more safety in terms of who's going to be playing on a night-to-night basis, which can take away from the load offensively that Kawhi and Paul George are going to have to have but defensively, you lose Batum, who was a good fit um, for that team. Although I did wonder how good he was going to be. I mean, he's a lot older, a bit less mobile than before. But you also lose P.J. Tucker, who is a sixer, which I'm... No, sorry, you gained P.J. Tucker. But as mm-hmm. you said, as a Philly fan, P.J. Tucker is, is damn near unplayable, I kind of feel like. And like I hear the defense, like he does rebound a lot but how many times Derek have we seen PJ play a whole game for your team and shoot like one or two shots oh plenty I mean that's the thing you're in many ways playing four on five especially in playoff basketball but we've seen it in the regular season which makes it all the more damning and you know I guess uh, someone could say that PG Kawhi you know and now Harden that's a better shooting collective than what the Sixers have which Sure, you know, if you want to say that's better than Tobias, I'm not going to argue that point. But Joel's more of a stretch big than Zubots is. Certainly more of a stretch big than Mason Plumley would be. We know what Russ is as a shooter. And I think, he, <laughs> excuse me, I think he's improved. But, you know, he's not Tyrese Maxey shooting the ball. So I, my point is that it's close from that perspective. And I feel like you're still going to have the same issues with PJ. But PJ, of course, was essential money-wise. You needed the $11 million, But also, I mean, four forwards were traded in this uh, in this transaction. You needed something back. So PJ does fill that void at really backup power forward. Because I think uh, as we progress, Kawhi is going to see a lot of time playing the power forward position. Uh which is, you know, that's going to be interesting by itself. That's certainly worthy of, like, a Clippers discussion. Do you want Kawhi at the four? That is so Especially disgusting. for big minutes. That is like, so I disgusting mean, to me. 
that, that's a very real reality. I mean, PG could slide. PG's certainly tall enough. He's mobile enough. I think he's obviously still rebounding well. But once you get Terrence Mann back, which that's also another discussion, is Russ going to the bench? Is he going to be happy with that? Because I think realistically, you've got Harden, then probably PG, then Mann, who you know can play one through three. It seems like they'd rather him stick at two or three. Uh, Kawhi is at the four again. And then you got Zubats and Plumley. Neither of them really play, you know, down. They're really strictly fives. So, you know, you're kind of landlocked a little bit. And that's why I'm curious to see if the Clippers go out and try to use whatever capital they have left. Maybe Norman Powell is actually on the move. Because, you know, in a sense, in a weird sense, you could see you could call him redundant as far as a shot taker, because now you've got plenty. You're adding Harden. You expect plenty of shots to go to him as well. So I'm curious to see what the Clippers do uh, to see if they're done. Because I think, you know, pre-pod we discussed, like many are touting them as bona fide contender status and possibly best in the West outside of like maybe Denver or, you know, whatever. So I don't know. Me personally, I don't think they should be done. I don't think they should be content. Because I still am not comfortable calling this a tier one team or a championship contender. Like a bona fide upper echelon championship contender. I'm not happy doing that yet. I think I have questions about a lot of things for both teams. I think I think I have more questions, ironically, for maybe the Clippers than the Sixers. But it's nearly even because my question with the Sixers now is this feels like a move you make because you want to empower Tyrese Maxey with Joel Embiid. But now there is no safety net of having another, you know, star level guy who can play with Joel Embiid and take the pressure off of Maxey to have to be what he is. I think Maxey's playing very good ball right now, but in terms of maintaining this load for the regular season and the playoffs i kind of question that especially when like the guys you got back are like fringe rotation players i think you're going to be playing roko more i can see that but i just wonder in terms of like playoff success what this roster can project to do and how that's going to impact Joel Embiid's feeling on the direction of this team without that other move being made in the same season. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I mean, obviously, you're losing Harden. We saw it in the games early on. You're losing a guy who's giving you 20 points roughly a night and 10 assists a night. You led the league in assists last year. So removing that big of a playmaker, even if you want to change the style that your offense you know, is uh, executing and conducting, which Nick Nurse is certainly trying to do, that's still a big void. That's not easily replaceable. So we've seen some struggles with, you know, team ball movement and execution. Uh, we've talked about Joel Embiid and his struggles, my frustrations with him and his playmaking. He had some comments recently that, like, guys need to just keep cutting. I'm going to find you. And it's like, I believe that eventually, uh, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but obviously, Joel's last game, he was sensational, uh, flirted with a quadruple double. And I think Joel Embiid is a positive playmaker already. I think he could get to 
very, very good. You know, actually great. Probably towards the middle or end of the season. Where he knows, you know, the newer faces a bit better. And their tendencies. But also can pass, I don't want to say to them, but where they're going to be. I think that's something that Joel's kind of struggled with. Certainly so far in the small sample size. But historically... He's never been on the same page. He'll try to throw to them when they're trying to cut or they haven't necessarily gotten somewhere and he throws it, you know, in front of them and they don't get it. And I feel like that's just been out of sync for so long. Part of me wants to blame the lack of preseason games with Joel and some rust, which is all well and good. But honestly, I'm sick and tired of using that as an excuse. The bottom line is if you're an MVP, if you're an All-NBA player, you should just be good at that now. You've been in the league for a decade. You've been around the game plenty now. You you should just be able to do that. Uh, that's a fair expectation. So I expect it to go up. Obviously, we talked about Tyrese. His growth looks sensational. And, you know, you call hard an insurance, uh, you know, safety blanket insurance policy. He is that. But in, in other respects, he takes away from Tyrese. You know, I've seen reports of like, well, the next guy they got to get is got to be a guard, right? Because you lost Harden, so you need to replace that. And then someone who can also handle the ball because Tyrese is a really good off-ball player. That's true, but I don't want to put Tyrese right back to where he was. Right. We've discussed this numerous times, Gifted, Pod, in spaces, etc. The best guards have gotten opportunities to lead an offense. They might have some struggles, but then they become far better players for it. We saw it with Zach Levine, a guy you already brought up. Devin Booker, immensely better player after his struggles uh, as a lead guard when Phoenix wasn't so good. And now he's, you know, we, we can talk possibly the best offensive player on his own team. Crazy take, maybe. That's fine. But we know these guys do improve. And I think Maxi, even if he isn't at the ceiling or can't reach the ceiling of a Devin Booker, we know he can improve. We know he's going to get better. He's gotten better in every single season he's played so far. So I want Maxi to have the keys to take those chances as a playmaker. My biggest frustration with Maxi as a lead guard at times or a decision maker is he doesn't gamble that much because he's worried about turnovers. And he's always been very good at avoiding them. But the best playmakers in the world aren't afraid of a couple of errand passes or gambles that didn't pay off because the ones that do can win you those big games so i want maxi to have the keys i want everything that comes with it which is going to be some growing pains he looks great right now is he going to average one turnover for the rest of the season no shot that number no. should very much double she could very much triple i expect him to be at around three and a half turnovers this season and that's completely fine the team and maxi will be better for it so, when I'm looking at what the Sixers need to do, to me, it's just grow. Just get better. Let Maxine and Bede be a pair. See how well that can carry you. They're both averaging 30 right now. If that has any semblance of continuing, we know it can for Joel. We don't know, obviously, if Tyrese can really do that. But if they can get close then that completely changes how you're trying to build this team forward because now you have just gotten a superstar to pair with an already superstar in Joel Embiid. 
So that would completely change the, the way Philly should look at uh, what's staring them in the face right now, which is a, definitely a team that has questions and doesn't have the highest ceiling in the East. There's easily two teams better than them right now, arguably three, maybe even four. But I think we need to kind of like let it happen and let Tyrese grow. And then we can start asking those questions of like, okay, what's next? And I think that brings us to the next, you know, question I have for Philadelphia. Like, I I can hear this path. I can hear this journey. But what does Joel Embiid think about this? Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question that I don't think anyone has the answer to. If they say they do, they're lying because I don't think Joel's made up his mind yet. Uh, Embiid's been incredibly patient with Philadelphia. I don't think it's a stretch gifted to say that he has been put through the most turmoil oh, any superstar. Oh, easily. Easily for me. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> wait, okay. We, I'll save some of this for the next part that we're going to do a process, but going, <laughs> going from coming into the league hurt, playing on a team that was tanking, getting this guy that's supposed to be generational, who can shoot, but me as a seven-footer, I can shoot. Then we flipped that for like yeah, he's he's been through a lot of turmoil, man. Yeah. So, for, for him to go through all of that and not already ask for a trade to me says a lot. Uh, he's certainly taken his fair shots at the team, at management before. Some of which, of course, has been deserved, considering we had a GM and uh, really director of basketball operations that had burner accounts lambasting Embiid. That was so, crazy. I remember them days. So he's been through a lot. And I think at this point, he's got to have the mental fortitude to understand this could take time. I think he sees Maxi and he sees a really good player right now, a guy that cares about winning, who's been a total professional. He hasn't caused drama. All those things are huge check marks for Joel. And he sees, like, okay, now he's given the chance to really grow so far so good i gotta see where we go and i think he understands we got some new faces in here obviously with the four forwards we just acquired but kelly Oubre, who you know is coming off a 20 point per game season obviously you know i'm not even the biggest Oubre fan but i think a very solid star for kelly is fair to say uh paul reed is now a bona fide backup center who is now being told he can go out and do a couple more things on offense. That doesn't mean just putbacks. Jaden Springer has now been added to the lineup. So there's a bunch of stuff that have, that has changed and transpired over this offseason. I got to think Embiid is willing to be patient throughout this season and the offseason. Because to me, that's Maury's plan. If in the first week of next offseason... There is not someone secured. And we can go through a whole bunch of names because there's definitely a lot. But a guy like a Pascal Siakam, you know, a guard is not traded for, a wing is not traded for. That's when Joel says, all right, I'm hitting the button. I'm done. Get me out of here. I'm 30. I'm going to try and win somewhere else. It can't happen here. And if that happens, I completely understand. I've got nothing to say. I've got zero complaints. You did everything you possibly could. You want to go win. You want to go to greener pastures? By all means. Totally get it. 
and I want Philly to get the best package they possibly can. But keep Joel happy and send him somewhere that hopefully for him is a better opportunity. But I think Joel has enough patience to recognize the situation that he's in right now, what the team's in right now, what they're trying to do. And he's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. That's what I believe. And that's what I'm hoping for. I don't know what the truth is for how Joel Embiid feels. I don't know what the future of the Sixers is for this season in terms of how far they go in the playoffs. I don't even know if they are a second round team in general based on what the matchup could be. What I do know is unlocking Tyrese Maxey in this way makes him a better player. Whether or not he can potentially turn into a superstar is another thing to be determined for me. But in terms of maximizing his value to your team as an asset, that's also another huge thing that he can do as well. And I think for the Sixers, based on how you've played this season, I mean, you did play the Bucks close with no James Harden. So the idea for this team to me is to continually try to have your offense scheme in a point to where it's equal opportunity offense for a lot of people and there's consistent movement to maximize the advantages made from Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid's two-man game, sure. But I still think adding in another guy, which I don't think has to be a guard. Like, I like the idea of them having a defensive-minded unit first. If you have a initiator, and that could be like a point forward type of wing combo type, but it all depends on the assets you're giving up to do so. I, like, I still believe as much as this player isn't sought after, I think Tobias Harris with an expiring contract plus the value of your picks can maybe get you someone serviceable. Might not be a star, but someone serviceable enough to play in that role, which makes it like curious for me in terms of what is going to happen there. But these games... I feel like they have a lot more weight on them now since we know Harden is no longer on this team. Yeah, no, I completely understand that perspective. And that could totally prove to be true that, you know, if the Sixers drop the next four, five, six, like the media is hitting the panic button, the fans are hitting the panic button, uh, and that noise will creep up. You know, it's inevitable. So... That's definitely of concern. I just look at this and I say, okay, can this team really kind of come together as a collective? Like, you lost two key pieces, but if you're going to win games, you have to get closer together. You have to be able to pick each other up and pick up the slack. You're losing a huge offensive piece in Harden. You're losing, I think, a, a good, like, you know, connective tissue piece in P.J. Tucker. Uh, so I, you know, the only way you can get better is, you know, gelling. And so like, if they gel, if the chemistry gets better continuity, they trust each other more, this could end up being a good thing, I think for Philly. And again, it's as long as you have that direction, your star players are in on that plan, then I think you go with it. The only way I'm really down with trading you know 
now or in the middle of the season at the deadline is you have a disgruntled star that is, you know, trying to get to Philly, which very unlikely, truth be told. Excuse me. But you have someone who is trying to get out and the asking price is going to be low where you don't really have to trade pieces of the team, but you can just move that draft capital and one or two of the contracts you just picked up. Or you just have a gem of a rebuilding team that says, okay, I'm out. I just want the draft capital. We know how important first-round picks are going to be from here on out. I mean, obviously, they were important before, but now with the new CBA kicking in with the salary cap issues, we know that those rookie contracts are super valuable to all teams, small markets or large. So teams, I think, are going to be far more enticed to take some salary and a first than they may have been before as far as like what kind of player they're trading. So there's a couple I have in mind that could fit that bill, and that would be a discussion worth having. But again, you don't want to take on a big salary to kind of impede what you could have this offseason and truly shape a championship team, which I think could be possible, especially if Tyrese continues to grow. So... That's, again, like, you have to be patient. And that's what I would implore, like, every Sixer player and fan to be, is I think it's worth being patient. You have a chance to do something here. And to your point, they play the Bucks tough. Like, sure, it's early. They're trying to figure out Dame and everything, too. But it's not decided yet. You still have to play the games. So Philly's not down and out completely just yet. To all the Sixers fans listening, what Derek just told you is to trust the process. <laughs> yeah, basically. I think it's one more. I, I have one more season. Do I trust Maury? No, I'm not. I'm not going to say he's a liar. He didn't lie to me specifically. But I trust that there's an opportunity here to salvage this season, to salvage the team. Uh, and really just the Joel Embiid era right like that's really what we're talking about because it's not so much the maxi situation i think there's a a very good likelihood he gets resigned regardless of how this season goes we could end up 20 and 60 uh or we could be 45 you know for a 45 win team losing the first round losing the second round we could even get to the ecf or, or even the finals like regardless of how that goes maxi's probably coming back it's really about maximizing Embiid and can you win a championship or be in a true championship window with him. And this is really the last, I want to say season, including the off season to make that happen. Uh, and to convince Joel himself, like it's worth saying. So it's a lot of ifs. It's a, it's a lot of like wishing, but you kind of have to have that as an NBA fan right like you don't want to just pack it up three games in all right you know two and one but we're not going to win a championship so it's all over it's like you can't think like that you've got so much more that still has to happen before we can just all right it's done we're over with trade joel go back to a rebuild speaking of ifs the los angeles clippers this is a team that made a big trade to get Paul George 
and Kawhi Leonard to LA and they traded a bunch of first round picks, a bunch of unprotected picks, pick swaps. They traded that in the whole nine yards, considering that they traded all of that, Derek, and they traded all NBA players, Shea Gilders Alexander. Now, so that's what they traded. And now they're in a situation where Paul George and Kawhi are not re-signed to the team. And you add James Harden to this mix. So the if question for them is very interesting. What happens if Paul George gets hurt? What happens if Kawhi Leonard gets hurt? What happens if they make it to the finals? What happens if they win a championship? The ifs for them are very interesting considering the fact that Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook can all be gone off of this team by the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should just, let's skip the injury ifs for a second, right? Because, yes, they exist with LA. Yes, we know they have a history. But the injury bug could happen or find anyone, any team, anytime. So let's just pretend, you know what, they're healthy. Let's say all four of those, you know, big names that you mentioned, they play 60 games roundabout. They have a regular season, a team to rock with. Let's just say they're there. So my first if, Terrence Mann's out with an ankle sprain. Uh, we don't know if Harden's going to play tonight at the time of this recording, but he's going to play sometime this week, which means more than likely, Russ and Harden are your starting backcourt. What does that look like in 2023? We saw it sort of for a little while in Houston, which is over three, what, three years ago? Uh, and then, of course, like we're not going to talk about like OKC. They, they were two vastly different people back then. So can Harden Russ adjust? I don't know about you, Gifted, but from what I've seen of the Clippers so far, Russ looks pretty well adjusted and, dare I say, is doing a little bit off ball. Like, might actually be, you know, doing stuff that doesn't necessarily have him making every decision. Uh, which is something, you know, we've talked about as Russ fans or, you know, following Westbrook for his career. I've liked what I've seen so far. He's taken some really smart shots. The three balls going in so far, obviously very small sample size. It's not like he'll take a ton. But... He's just now getting comfortable with this team, and you're adding a primary ball handler to the mix. Now, we obviously think that's going to do really well with PG and Kawhi because predominantly they're off-ball guys. They're great scorers at virtually any level of the floor. They're also very good defenders, so that's going to make up for Harden. But where does Russ fit in? Is he going to be happy with this situation sharing with Harden? And then is he going to be happy coming off the bench gifted? Because he could very well be coming off the bench if Terrence Mann comes back and they slide him at the two or the three to better maximize size and defensive versatility and Harden plays the one, which is really where he should be. So there's ifs from the basketball sense all over the place. We can just remove health. We don't even have to think about that, which is it's still on the table, but... 
even if they're healthy, this could get kind of messy. The potential is obviously there. Harden is still one of the best offensive players in the game. He's a walking, like, top 18 offense by himself still. Without Kawhi and PG. But I don't think it's going to be very clean, especially if he dribbles the ball and makes every decision as much as he did this past season in Philadelphia. So what do you say to that? Well, where my head is at now is Ty Lu. Ty Lu, to me last season, was a bad coach. I did not like his rotations. I did not like his adjustments. Oh, oh wait, my bad. He didn't make any. And I didn't mm. like his processing of certain things as the season progressed. Like, how many months, Derek, do we have to hear many Clippers fans, and us included, by the way, ask ourselves, why is Marcus Morris playing over Terrence Mann in the year 2023? Why mm. is that happening? And now, just when it looks like Terrence Mann is going to have a season where he gets more, like, exposed... He's this untouchable asset now. Like, oh, they're valuing Terrence Mann. Good on you, Clippers. You now trade for James Harden. Who's going to start? I don't think there's any question James Harden is going to start. That's obvious. The question now is, does Russ start over Mann? Or does Mann start over Russ? And the funny part is while we're having that question, in reality, the four is the biggest question. Because I'll be honest with you, Kawhi at the four, I think is terrible. I I don't like the idea of playing Kawhi at that four position because it takes more out of you physically and you have to be like a help side room protection guy. Kawhi Leonard is much better as like a, a POA guy on wings. He's much better at the three than the four, I feel like. And Paul George, to me, a big part of his defensive value is the fact that he's so long, but he can play the two or the three. I think that makes more sense. Extending them out to the four feels like you're pushing it. And like in terms of, of the Russell Westbrook thing, I think Russ played very well in the playoffs. I think in the playoffs you saw defensively after the first three quarters in game one, Russ turned his defense up to a whole other level. He understood where to be, how to guard people, and played phenomenally well. But now... In a new season, if you're asking me who's going to start, it wouldn't surprise me if Russ started because this is the same man that, once again, Derek, started Marcus Morris over Terrence Mann. And Marcus Morris is a way worse player. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, statistically, he was one of the worst defenders in the entire league, uh, really the past two years. I think what's interesting about the potential starting five of Harden, George, Mann, Leonard, Zubats is... This lineup to me screams, I want to see Phoenix in the playoffs. And I don't know that I could put together necessarily a cleaner looking lineup to match up with Phoenix. Harden, it would be, you know, placed on the island with whoever the weakest shooter is, obviously. But you've got PG, who would probably see Booker. You've got Man, who would probably see Beal. Kawhi would take KD. So... 
I mean, that would be a very entertaining series, and I think that's kind of like the logistics and the thought process. I agree with you, Kawhi, like battling on the boards and having to like, you know, a double big lineup, which is kind of, I think, slowly coming back in the NBA in a very uh, subtle way. That's not where I want Leonard to be. You know, clanging and banging is not something that a 32-year-old Leonard should be doing. Um, That's not a way to preserve your body very well. So that's a concern. But at the same time, I feel like that's kind of the, the only move. Because the only other counter to that really on this roster is Harden George, Leonard, Tucker, and then Zubats. And I don't really like that either. The bench on paper looks a lot stronger because it would be Russ, Pal, Man. I mean, some kind of sub, I guess. Uh, And Mason Plumley, because, I mean, let's face it, they're not going to ask, you know, Bones Highland to get some run. Kobe Brown is far too young. I mean, uh, but see, this is the Brand- funny part. Brandon Boston is like a two-way contract at this point, right? This like, is the I mean, funny this part is part of what you're saying, though, because you would think <laughs> some of these guys are not going to play. Let me tell you something: Bones Highland is going to play. They're going to have three guard lineups with Russ Harden and Bones. That's going to happen. You you will see that happen. I mean, that's foul because you just skipped over Norman Powell. Like, if I had I to, did. if I had to witness a three guard lineup. I rather see Harden, Russ, and Pal, because at least Pal, like you know, is an undersized wing. I, I mean, Bones is you know, I, I get why people are excited about a player like Highlands. You know, he's very dynamic. I think he's got in. I was gonna say like an interesting first step, which I don't even necessarily believe. I think he's a very step. like. I don't. I don't think he's explosive enough, really. Um, that that's kind of where I was going. I think he's very shifty and like side to side. He can kind of shake some guys, but I don't like him really at all with without the ball in his hands. And then with him, I think he just kind of takes up too much shot clock. Um, these are nitpicks, obviously, but again, like I'm thinking about kind of winning and building winning habits with the team, and you know, understanding what these lineups are going to be. You're nine man. For the Clippers needs to look like Harden, George, Man, Leonard, Zubots, Russ, Pal, Tuck, Plumley. I, I think you need a backup five if Zubots eats up some fouls in a West that has some very dangerous big men or very dangerous guards that get into the paint. Tucker obviously is going to be playing defense. We know what he does. Pal is a great six man. Dynamic score, still, I think, a solid defender, especially for the position. We know what Russ can do. So, Bones is out of that circumstance. So, like, from a death perspective, obviously he'll get the run because we don't expect any of these guys playing really 70 games or higher. But, man, I I just think there's so much to work out here. And I worry for the Clippers. Like, Harden hasn't done the off-ball thing. Like, as many different iterations of Harden we seemingly have seen over the years, he is not an off-ball guy and never really has been since, like, six-man-the-year status in OKC. So, I mean, do you expect any change 
as far as his play style in L.A. And that brings us to the next question, the James Harden experience, which I like James Harden a lot. I think he does a lot of great things, but when the ball's not in his hands, you question it. I mean, I think last year he shot 40% on catch and shoot, but like the volume of him taking catch and shoot threes isn't quite there. And his best value has always been with the ball in his hands as a playmaker. So, so now the question becomes, well, if James has the ball in his hands more, you're taking it out of Kawhi's hands more. And while James is a better playmaker, Kawhi Leonard, as a creator, based off of his mid-range volume and things of that nature, goes through stretches where, no, the ball should be in Kawhi's hands. He's going to make the right read. He's hot. What happens, especially if you have Russell Westbrook and Harden, two two guys who historically are not phenomenally great off-ball players, especially Harden, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know what the ceiling of that type of play is. I think Paul George is going to be the ultimate connector with that, but I think that's going to require Paul George to have to run off the ball more and do more things, and it feels weird because. Paul George has had a great start to the season, and I feel like his play style has been a bit more on ball in those spots. So making it work with all four of them in a lineup feels difficult and concerning. But the one thing I will say is the pace should be a lot better. Okay, I think that's interesting. I mean... I agree with you about the Paul George stuff. To me, he is the big connective piece because I don't think Kawhi really has to alter his game at all. Uh, we've seen in the past PG pick up some more playmaking duties because I think one thing we've talked about with this Clippers team really since this duo has been put together is who is their point guard? Like, who is their facilitator? Who helps to table set um, when... You know, if one of them is not in the court, let alone the both of them aren't on the court, who helps get early offense? Who kind of keeps it going in a good way? Uh, they have that with Harden. We know he is a great table setter. And as far as like the catch and shoot threes, uh, you know, that's certainly improved with Philadelphia. But it's the lack of movement. It's the lack of screen setting. It's the lack of cutting to the basket. These are the things that Harden has never really had to do because he's been so good at other things. But those are also kind of like winning tendencies and winning abilities that we've seen plenty of great players adapt or change and do for the betterment of their team. Uh, so it's not like Harden's the only one who's never done this either. In fact, we've criticized Russ for these exact same things at times. But I, I think it's, you know, can they gel and play the same way? Because you bring up pace. Are Russ and Harden going to kind of match up? Because you can have Harden sit, Russ lead the show. Right? Vice versa. Uh, if they both were to sit and you had like a Bones and then your other wings and guys are out there, how much change is that going to be? So... Those are kind of the questions I have. Offensively, I think they're just going to find ways to put the ball in the basket. That's cool. But I think Harden now has to adapt again to what kind of defensive style they want. 
And while I think Zubats is a okay defender at the five, I don't think he's bad like some people presume he is. I think he's honestly good at contesting shots, even if he's not sending them back a ton. I do think this isn't the same as like Joel back there or, a, you know, a Nicholas Claxton. So this is another adjustment he has to make. He's got the perimeter defenders, obviously, in the dynamic duo, but can he like make these adjustments on the fly and, you know, quickly? Because this is a team that needs to compete. And as we've said, needs to kind of secure a high seed in the West because this is going to be a shootout. If you fall to six, let alone you get scared about the play-in, like you could get a bad matchup and then it's over because the West is going to be hot this year and it's going to be highly, like highly, highly competitive. So is this all going to gel quickly? That's really the biggest question, obviously for LA. Yeah. And like seeing how they go through the pains, because again, like we said earlier, right on paper, Kawhi is on KD, right on paper. Paul George is on Booker, right? On paper, you probably put Man on Beal if Man is the one who who is going to you know start, right? Like that that's what you would do. But what we've seen the Clippers do for years, especially in the playoffs, is this switch everything bullshit where they don't have their guys fight through screens consistently, and instead of Paul George or Kawhi guarding Luka, it's Marcus Morris. And it's like, are they going to play that same game with the Suns? Right. I mean, and look, I think I want to, real quick, I want to give Westbrook some credit. I think since he's been with LA, he's done a little bit better with the Clippers, that is. Uh, he's done a little bit better defensively as far as communicating and fighting through some of those screens. Yeah. But, like, let's let's look at this, for example. If Man isn't the starter, because, you know, we've discussed his, his and Ty Lue's relationship or what have you, he doesn't play maybe as as many minutes as he should if russ is the starter alongside harden pg Kawhi, zubats now you're asking russ in this in this hypothetical to guard beal or to take another like lead guard if like the wings are occupied like la for example like would is he guarding like reeves or d presumably if Kawhi's, i mean if Kawhi stuck on AD or if Kawhi stuck, you know, got LeBron and then PG has to take somebody like, I don't know. Asking Westbrook to continue to be good defensively at 35 is just a really hard ask because we know Harden ain't doing it. So no, again, these are nitpicks. Like, you know, obviously we, we need to see this play out in the regular season. I don't really have a ton of these questions, but this is a move to make it or break it, right? Like, this is, can we get over the hump and get to the finals? That's why you trade for James Harden. He's supposed to be your ceiling raiser. Yeah, sure, he's a good, like, insurance policy for the regular season because of the injury history with the big two, but he's supposed to put you over. This is now a big three. Some people might say big four, which is kind of nasty, but this is supposed to put you over the hump. And there's a lot at risk here. We know they don't have a ton of draft capital. If this doesn't pan out this year, you're essentially forced to re-sign. Obviously, try to secure Paul George and Kawhi back. We they have player options, uh, both over forty-five million dollars. 
but then you got to get Russ back on a contract. If I'm not mistaken, he's on like damn near minimum. And then you have Harden, who specifically requested this. Almost like he you know, thought or had some kind of assurances potentially that he would be getting some kind of future contract. So that's what LA is staring at. If this team doesn't work out, you're kind of stuck paying Harden because if you don't, where is the money going and how are you replacing his production? Because you don't have the draft capital to do that. And you don't have a ton of guards on the free agent market this upcoming offseason. You've got a lot of wings and a lot of forwards. So this is the big swing. This is the big swing that Balmer and the Clippers are going for. And I don't know. I definitely have some questions. As a Sixers fan, I feel pretty good about it, to be honest. I'd rather be in my spot than a Clippers fan spot. I'll say that. And that, that is so funny to say, considering the spot you're in as well. <laughs> I Totally. I'm not, win- <laughs> I'm not saying I'm winning the finals. Hell, I don't know that this team has a better chance than the Clippers do necessarily. On Again, we're talking about paper. They've got more talent. They've got more names. But it looks like, for now anyway, that the, that the Sixers have a direction post this season to me the clippers don't have a direction post this season and that's fine if you win the championship you know you pulled an la rams for a football reference here you got your you know your finals trophy i mean then hey whatever we said whatever we nitpicked whatever we talked about you know it's for the birds at that point right because you you got your trophy but you have to get there first let alone win the thing because if you don't this is a swing and a miss and you're out. That's the way this should be seen. Philly's not out yet necessarily, but to me, the door essentially closes for the Clippers and this iteration of them. If it doesn't happen this year, unless Steve Ballmer says, you know what? I forgot. I'm like the richest owner in the league. Let me just pay everybody. Oh, wait, right. you can't because of the new CBA. Yeah, I was gonna. I was about to say, <laughs> like, it's, money don't matter now. Uh, <laughs> in, in in trying to put this all together, and then you just get another year older, and a, you know more wear and tear. And one year tour. can change so much for like a whole team. Like like um, <laughs> we brought everybody back, and then you know my team didn't look the same at all. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like I mean, you know. It should, and this and this isn't like a young roster you know what i mean like we talk about terrence Mann, and it's been memed to death like i'm a Ter- i'm a terrence man guy i of course i wanted him in the trade initially you are because a terrence man guy yes like he's a plug and play player like that's exciting like he is i've seen him have success playing the one the two and the three obviously i, I prefer him at the two or the three but he's a very i think coachable player and very easy to kind of implement into a system but he's 27 and he doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world which is like another thing that like Harden you know is he a little insulted that LA didn't just want to fork up a 27 year old expiring contract for James Harden a 10-time all-star a former MVP a guy that was you know as some called it all NBA caliber last season you had you had trouble moving. He was like eight points a game. Terrence Mann was too tough 
to to go on. Normally, that's, that's I would what, agree with you that like he should be mad about that, right? But I don't think he should in this situation because a they still traded for him, and b he now gets to play with Terrence Mann, which can be a help to the team to make them better in general. Because hypothetically, if you added Terrence Mann to this deal, they're a much worse team. Right, of course. Yeah, like because if you sat, if you sacrificed man, I mean, if you did something nuts and like, you know, you kept Batum and sent man, and it's man, Rocco, uh, Morris, and Martin. Like, yeah, this team has so little uh, versatility to them. You're so locked into your starting five, I guess six and seven, which maybe that's what they're banking on. Like, you just rock out an eight man rotation. Hell, even seven in some circumstances, that might be enough because you've got the top end talent. We saw Boston kind of with the same approach. We just know Boston's younger. Like, that's really the big difference here, I think. It's fair to say, like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are younger variations of Kawhi and PG. I'm not saying they're better necessarily, but they're definitely younger and on the right side of 30, meaning they're not 30 yet. Uh, and the guys behind them are also still like really good. So I just I have my doubts. I, I'm I've been forced to kind of doubt James Harden a- after going through the experience. You know, obviously still ferociously talented player. But does it really translate to winning? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in some time. And the guy who almost did win, barring some unfortunate circumstances, it, that's not the same player. The guy of 2018, 2019 is oh. no more. That Harden isn't there. So I don't want to hear it like he's been, you know, a winning player before. That version of him was. Not now. Now you get a guy that flirts with 20 points per game. I don't think he I don't think he exceeds, you know, 23 points per game this season. I guess if that's like a take to throw out there. He's still gonna be the playmaker, but I don't think it's gonna like really jump up quite as much. That that's just just my thoughts. Still a great player, but I don't think he evolves enough to get you over the hump. So Derek is taking the rational approach to James Harden. Not me, baby. Twenty twenty three, James Harden. This is the revenge season. Daryl Morey is a liar. I repeat. Daryl Morey is a liar. One of the best phrases of the modern era for basketball, Daryl Morey is a liar. And I think that James, like his trainer said, understands what is at stake for this season. I think all the honey buns he was eating, he cut that out. And I think when the season starts for him specifically, the target is going to be on his back the entire year because he has a lot of money riding on this. His reputation as a player riding on this. And this is yet another instance where you are playing with talented players. And a contract extension for James Harden is not guaranteed with the Clippers, I don't believe. There's a very realistic chance, like I said, that all four of their guys can all leave because they're all on expiring deal. Even Westbrook taking the $8 million extension, I'm pretty sure he did that because he wanted to stay at least one more season in L.A., that doesn't mean he can't opt out and go elsewhere after the season is over. 
Plus, the market, as we know, wasn't as open for Westbrook, even though he was a very good player for the Clippers when it's, once he got traded there. So there's a lot riding on this season. And the other element that you're not thinking about, Derek, is remember, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, where are they all from? That would be California. California. So to them, winning together as all L.A. natives, L.A. kids, it means a lot to them. And I think for James Harden, he's in a position where his trade value was to the point where teams wouldn't trade Norman Powell for him. I think James Harden is going to take that, wear that, and ball the hell out. Because people forget a lot of why Joel Embiid looked the way he looked last year was because James Harden was able to execute advantages and actually put him in a great position to score in better spots. So now James can bring that to a Clippers team where sometimes offensively, you're questioning what the hell is the decision-making or the shot processing here. And it feels like James doesn't have to give you 35 to win. It felt like for Philadelphia, they needed a more aggressive scoring James Harden to have success in the playoffs. And even though he did it for two games and they won those two games, it feels like for the Clippers, they have Paul George and Kawhi for that. But James can absolutely still give you those types of performances. So it's going to be interesting. But I do feel like James Harden is due to have a very strong regular season yet again, even better than last year. That's where I'm at with it. We'll see what happens, you know, and that's what's funny because for the Sixers and the Clippers, this is really more of a we'll see what happens trade. Totally. Absolutely. Like last question I got for you. What what does this Harden stat line look this season? Now that he's a, a Clipper and has the, you know, a full season in front of him. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, give me 23 points per game. Give me nine assists per game. Give me four rebounds a game give me uh 86% from the free throw line give me it's gonna be a hot one here give me 51% for the field 37% from three on high volume that's the James Harden season we're looking at here wow okay yeah. so we agree about the points the rebounds are even a little bit low so that's interesting Maybe the Clippers are a better rebounding team. That's fine. Assists are still there. But the efficiency. So James really returns to form. Like, I want to just, just throw this out there. I'm curious. Like, a field goal percentage like that. So so how many seasons do you think Harden averaged, like, 50% from the field? I'm just curious. It's got to be, like, maybe two. I don't think he's had that many, honestly. Okay. Because the highest he's had was way back when in 2011 he averaged 49% from the field the yeah. last time he broke 45% from the field was during this I'm going to use air quotations here MVP season in Brooklyn because he played 30 games at an MVP level that made him an MVP player we all remember uh, he was averaging 47% from the field Last year was 44. So, hot for sure. Hot take. Uh, but you know what? More power to him. Definitely going to get some good looks. He's He's got guys to distract uh, and give him chances. We need to see if that, that finishing ability comes back. That's 
that's my big question. Well, can he can he can he hit three straight layups? Gifted. I'll say this: Game one after post trade, James Harden is absolutely dropping forty. Absolutely, mm. every every time James Harden gets traded, the first game, he reminds people I'm James Harden, and then after it's like, yeah, I, I can do this, but that first game, oh yeah, it's up for that first game, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, appreciate having you on here. Derek, uh, if you guys made it to the end of this video, let me know what you guys are thinking when it comes down to the James Harden uh, stuff. Are you happy that it's over? Did you want more of the trade drama for the Sixers continuing for the season? I know I did. I personally wanted to see James Harden play every single game of this regular season. And at every press conference, win, draw, or lose, emphasizing that Daryl Morey is a liar and he doesn't <laughs> want to be there. I would have loved seeing how that panned out. But... We now have a whole different thing to monitor with the Clippers now. So definitely going to be watching more of their games. Uh, Derek, any final words? No, I mean, appreciate the opportunity. It was always, it was good to be back on the podcast. It's all coops. It's been a minute since I've been on my own. It's just been, you know, wrapped up with basketball. Uh, NBA's back, but of course, in real life, basketball coaching uh, has taken a lot of time. Uh, and I'm happy about it. It's re really where I want to be. So I've been excited, and I look forward to this season. Clippers are going to be a fun team to watch, uh, and I'm enjoying Sixers, you know, team basketball. That's what I'm looking forward to as well. So, no, I appreciate the time. Uh, you know, really got nothing else to plug. You know, we're we're around a lot between spaces. Uh, your Discord, of course, I'll shout that out real quick. Where we're watching hoops, uh, and yeah, that's all I got. You heard it from Derek. He's excited about the Kelly Oubre dribble handoffs he cannot wait to see those increase oh, in volume I, as the season we, progresses the equal I, opportunity offense means don't kelly, think i said that kelly Oubre handoff mm. <laughs> all right everyone have a good night that's all i got <laughs> peace out people <laughs>